Over 10 match days in and a bizarre season in La Liga Santander certainly has gone even further off the usual script. Barcelona sit at the top of the table after a lopsided El Clasico, which is perhaps the only predictable element so far. It undoubtedly leaves us with a lot to talk about on this week's La Liga show. My name is Mitchell Tierney and I am joined today on the podcast by Armin Badakian, a man who works for the Canadian Premier League, which is the top soccer league here in Canada, set to launch this summer. Armin, thanks for taking the time to chat, my friend. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Well, uh, in the future, we, we want to make this podcast more of a holistic view of La Liga Santander, but I think at this point it would also be fairly disingenuous to not talk about Real Madrid and Barcelona and the aftermath of the El Clasico because there's no shortage of storylines to talk about coming out of this match. Uh, I watched the game at the Pint Toronto at our inaugural viewing party event in partnership with La Liga, and you could kind of get the sense um, from the shock from the supporters that this was unexpected. I know Barcelona coming in were the heavy favorites uh, going to this match, but uh, I certainly don't think anyone expected it to go this way. Um, before we kind of look at the the extensive aftermath of this game, let's let's take a quick look back at the game itself. Um, obviously a dominant first half by Barcelona, but uh, I think somewhat overshadowed in, in the way this match has been perceived because of the 5-1 was the fact that Real Madrid almost got back into it. They came very close uh, after the interval. They were so dominant and had a ton of chances, but kind of as has been their MO this season, they were only able to score one, and and obviously Barcelona, with a couple of great substitutions, was able to secure the match. So uh, what did you make of, of a crazy game, Armin? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was entertaining to watch as a neutral. And if you're a Barcelona fan, you're celebrating the entire day. But from Real Madrid's perspective, it's just compounding problems that they've had all season. And really, I mean, a club uh, can have their issues and can overcome it. But the pressure that's put on both Barcelona and Real Madrid to perform in this particular matchup, in this particular rivalry, makes it so that all of your symptoms become magnified especially when you get blown out. This is not the first time Barcelona's defeated Real Madrid by a comprehensive margin. I mean, it, it seems to happen every two or three years. Uh, but for some reason, this one felt a little bit worse. Like, in the past, when it's been such a lopsided scoreline, it's just because Barcelona has put on a masterclass performance where players like Messi, Iniesta, and uh, even back in the day, Xavi, just connected on such a level that even a really decent to really good Barca, uh, sorry, Real Madrid team, Like they, they'll put in a strong performance, they just can't compete. In this one, it just didn't feel like that. It felt like Barcelona showed up and played their regular kind of soccer, and Real Madrid just didn't show up at all. And, uh, I mean, the scoreline reflects it in the end. Yeah, certainly. Uh, as, as you said, it, this wasn't any sort of master class by Barcelona. They didn't have an exceptional performance, obviously. Uh, they're missing Lionel Messi, which uh, we'll get to a little bit later. But um, from a Real Madrid perspective, obviously, um, kind of the consequences of this game have already happened. Although, uh, if rumors are to believe, uh, the, the decisions on Lopetegui um, and the fact that he lost his job yesterday were were you know made well in advance of the El Clasico game in many ways uh, he only got to the El Clasico uh, from from the sounds of things because they didn't want a new manager to come in and have to you know potentially lose an El Clasico game right away so uh, he's obviously on his way out and uh, you know just an incredibly rough couple months for him only 100 138 days on the job and obviously you know after after everything that happened with Spain um, he basically he's been fired from the two most prolific jobs in Spain in, in a matter of months. 
Yeah, absolutely. I saw some, uh, I think it was like a social media post that said his next job is with the Spanish monarchy. Because, <laughs> yeah. Um, ultimately, I mean, even the appointment was strange. If I remember correctly, he was appointed during the, like right before the, the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was just, it was shocking. I mean, how, how do you have unity in the Spanish locker room, knowing the rivalry that exists between Barcelona and Real Madrid, when you represent one of those clubs all of a sudden? Uh, I think Spain was right to cut ties with him at that time. It makes sense. But even the appointment in the beginning made no sense to me. Uh, he doesn't have the pedigree, in my opinion, to to take over, especially coming off of Zidane. The fact that Zinedine Zidane left that vacancy, the players loved him. <clears throat> and it was obvious. It was super obvious from uh, from a personality perspective, even from a tactical perspective. I thought Zidane did an amazing job. So to come in with that kind of, uh, I don't know, with the, under those circumstances, is it's rough. Uh, so it's not surprising to me that it, his tenure has ended this way. I am interested in seeing what Solari can do because I think Solari comes into this Real Madrid team in the same sort of way that Zidane did, where he's a former player. They, they actually, I think they played together, um, and a lot. Of, he's coming with a lot of high praise. There's apparently a lot of potential there. I don't know too much about him to be perfectly honest, but it could be interesting to see if he gets the job permanently. Although. With some of the profile, like high-profile candidates that we're talking about, I think maybe Real Madrid will have a new manager uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think part of the problem with the with the Lopetegui hire, of course, is that he wasn't their first choice. Um, from the sounds of things, he was maybe fifth or sixth on their list, but there's just not that many international managers who seem fully available um, for positions right now, uh, which kind of compounds their problems right now. As you mentioned, Santiago Solari was promoted uh, from the second team on an interim basis. Uh, he's a 42-year-old, played 131 games for Los Blancos between 2000 and 2005. He also has 11 caps with Argentina. Um, but it sounds like the front runner, at least uh, in terms of the gambling odds on this, the front runner is still um, Antonio Conte, of course, the the former Chelsea manager. Um, you know, it sounds like there's been some problems in the negotiations with that. But uh, w- what do you make of kind of where they go from here? Because th- that would certainly be an interesting appointment and uh, kind of the the old taskmaster um, mentality. But uh, I don't know if <laughs> obviously the team already with Sergio Ramos and some of the other players saying that they don't need that right now uh, already doesn't seem too interested in, in that being their next manager. Yeah, it's interesting that it's Sergio Ramos who's saying things like that uh, because of the fact that I think Real Madrid's biggest issue has always been it's a locker room full with some of the biggest egos in the mm-hmm. sport. And Antonio Conte as a manager is exactly the kind of guy who walks into a room and says, I'm the ego. I'm the guy and you guys are my are my uh, disciples, essentially. Uh, I, I like Conte. I'm a massive Chelsea fan and have been all my life. So to me... Uh, Conte is, from a tactical perspective, from a just a managerial perspective, I like him as a manager, and I think he would do well at Real Madrid, provided that that team was willing to accommodate the sort of changes that Conte would bring in. Not just tactically, I mean, perhaps he'll keep the same three-man backline that he had at Juve and at, at Chelsea, maybe not. Uh, but I think the bigger issue with Conte is how will the players gel with him? How will they gel with a manager who's not afraid to you know, yell and and, uh, not afraid to assert himself into a locker room that has historically not done well with managers that have been very assertive. Uh, Jose Mourinho being the exception, but even then, at the end of his tenure, there was was tensions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Real Madrid's managerial position. I do think Conte could be a good solution, but it seems as though Real Madrid's players, I mean the current crop anyways, 
are more attuned to a sort of friendly manager that's a little bit more relatable. So either Real Madrid will go through wholesale changes to accommodate Conte or uh, they'll just have to look for another guy. We, we haven't really mentioned Barcelona very much in all of this, which uh, I guess kind of makes sense considering every all the drama that's gone on with Real Madrid, but certainly a, a massive week for them. Um, going into this match, or, or going into this the, the past week, they were struggling almost to the same degree as Real Madrid, obviously um, a little bit better for them, but, but it was pretty darn close. And then they uh, went out and beat Sevilla, who at the time were at the top of the table. Uh, they beat Inter Milan in the midweek in the Champions league and of course this win for for them in the El Clasico what does this mean now for Barcelona because uh, now obviously they're they're back to top of the table and uh, definitely look like the favorites uh, in La Liga right now yeah absolutely I mean uh, even but like before that they uh, drew Valencia 1-1 and Valencia is never an easy opponent in La Liga mm-hmm. and then they beat Tottenham 4-2 I think so it's been a really solid uh, vein of form for Barcelona lately. I think where they go from here is is probably some familiar waters. I mean, this is nothing new for Barcelona, really. They're used to being dominant. They're used to putting together strings of massive wins. And it was really just about finding their groove again. I think the absence of Lionel Messi in the last couple of weeks has been a little bit difficult for them. Uh, but it looks like uh, the players have stepped up in a really meaningful way. And uh, the other thing that I think Barcelona is really... Uh, maybe is benefiting from is the fact that Real Madrid is doing so poorly uh, there's not as much pressure in La Liga on them to be frank I mean the way it's going it doesn't look like Real, Madrid, Real Madrid's ship is going to straighten out anytime soon so by and large this team can probably focus a little bit more on the Champions League and focus a little bit more on the Copa del Rey than maybe they usually would and uh, we might even see uh, some of the other Barcelona players become a little bit more involved as well I know just from the El Clasico game uh, Arturo Vidal had like an 87th mm-hmm. minute goal. He's been an interesting acquisition to me, and, and there's definitely opportunities for him to shine as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, obviously a lot of the talk going into that game was uh, on that absence from Lionel Messi and who would step up for uh, and fill his boots. Um, you know, Rafinha was the player who, who came in for Messi in terms of a, a like-for-like replacement in the team. But the player who really obviously stepped up in a big way for Barcelona in this match was Luis Suarez, who's been... Pretty fantastic for Barcelona during this stretch while Lionel Messi's been out. Just a class performance. Obviously, he had his third kid, uh, you know, just just shortly before the match, and then was able to go out and score three goals and uh, almost scored on that scorpion kick as well, which just would have been mm-hmm. the biggest insult to injury moment uh, during that match. So, what did you make of his performance? Because you know, obviously, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Luis Suarez is Luis Suarez. It's th- At this point, there's not much you have to really say about him. He's just one of those players that is consistently elite. Uh, and he's had his detractors. The The thing that I really find interesting about Luis Suarez, dur- especially during his time in Barcelona, is he seems to have put aside the I, I'm the star mentality. I mean, over the last couple of years, he's been very candid about Messi is the star. I'm just a, I'm just a, a humble servant of this club. And... I think that's really benefited his game. Uh, I know, for example, not this la- not this uh, last World Cup, but the one from before, he picked up a lot of detractors uh, for his performances, and rightfully so, to be honest. But in the last four years, I've seen this player uh, evolve into uh, a very mature striker and a, a very reliable striker. Of course, every striker goes through their periods, but it seems like Suarez is among the more consistent ones in Europe these days, and I think Barcelona benefits from not just having really talented attacking players, 
but having players who also understand their place in the club and and how they can work alongside one another. That cohesiveness, that ability to sort of contextualize their place in the world or their place in soccer is is rare and it's becoming even more rare every every year. So I think uh, with Suarez in particular and with some of the other Barcelona players, we're seeing the fruits of that. Yeah, and of course, we, we kind of saw that cohesion in the fact that Lionel Messi was playing babysitter during the game. He was uh, with Suarez's kids and uh, obviously Suarez joining him as becoming the second ever player to record a hat trick in El Clasico. So uh, incredible there. Uh, on the Real side, though, there was you know a lot of players who didn't necessarily step up. And the, the one who's drawn the most criticism after this match is Gareth Bale, um, mostly for his defensive deficiencies. I mean, there are there a couple of uh, clear plays where Bale, who evidently isn't known for his defensive play anyway, um, wasn't you know back in position or anything like that, and it uh, really wasn't able to do much offensively either. I know this is a player who has been a fairly big game player for Real Madrid, but uh, with the way things are going this season and the fact that obviously there's a there's a big vacancy up top to be filled, uh, you know, a lot of criticism there for Gareth Bale. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem that Gareth Bale is facing is probably an existential one at this point because it's like you've been, unfortunately, uh, under the shadow of Cristiano Ronaldo for as long as you have. Now, all of a sudden, the pressure that was already massive on you based on the fee that was paid to acquire him has basically doubled. And it's a case of a player who maybe doesn't feel like he necessarily even has to uh, step up because of the way he's been treated in the past. Gareth Bale has been an afterthought. I mean, his Champions League final performance last year was excellent, Mm -hmm. but he didn't start that match. So I think in the end of the day, Gareth Bale, uh, every every player can have a bad game, but Gareth Bale's performance in El Clasico is more of a symptom of kind of a longer arc of, of... maybe not the best treatment that he could have possibly had at the club. And maybe some of that's due to injuries, and maybe some of that's been due to form and lack of, of, or I guess the inability to capitalize on your opportunities. But I think Gareth Bale, to me, seems like the kind of player right now who would probably do a little bit better with uh, a club change. I think his career probably needs a little bit of a shakeup, and it wouldn't surprise me if if a Premier League move was being broached at, uh, at this time, even for January. Yeah, you mentioned the injuries. Uh, something like 201 games now played for Real Madrid, but at the same time, 103 missed during that time. So that gives you kind of an idea of how much time Gareth Bale has missed during his time, uh, whether that be obviously through through falling out of favor with managers or you know more prevalently injuries. Uh, speaking of injuries, uh, you, you mentioned the fact that Real Madrid, uh, things might get a little more tough before they get better. And uh, part of the fact that, that you know, makes that so difficult is this uh, injury crisis that they seem to currently be going through. Uh, Marcelo obviously injured after the game. It sounds like Rafael Varane could be out for a month. Uh, Mariano as well. Uh, it's, it's not great timing on all of these, evidently, as the team's trying to to kind of pull itself together. Obviously, I think only seven points off the top still, so it's not, you know, it's not an unmitigated disaster, but uh, they are in ninth right now, which for a club as proud as Real Madrid, it doesn't look great. Yeah, absolutely. And the question is, where does Real Madrid really go from here? I mean, in terms of the injuries, uh, it's something that you obviously have to wait out and you have to try to manage, but there's some big questions that this club needs to answer. I think... Uh, it's still pretty early in the season. I think we're about only a third or fourth of the way in anyway. So 
there's still plenty of time for Real Madrid to regroup and regather, but by the way it looks and by the fact that there's no manager appointed yet, it seems as though there might be a, a trouble brewing in the in the future or the immediate future for this club. I think, however, that Real Madrid has positioned itself in an, in a really peculiar way. It's almost uh, unconventional, really, because for the better part of the last decade, we've heralded Barcelona's uh, academy and we've said how incredible it is that this club promotes from within. And to the, to their credit, I mean, you don't take anything away from La Masia, but recently Real Madrid has been developing a young contingency of Spanish players. And uh, I guess ironically, Barcelona has spent uh, hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring <laughs> players like Coutinho and Neymar before selling Neymar. So uh, it's been interesting how that coin has sort of flipped. And I think that's something that Real Madrid can use as a credit and also might be a bit of a lifeline for them. I think if Real Madrid can continue to uh, place an emphasis on bringing through their own players or young Spanish players, while also potentially looking back to the transfer market, I mean, it's pretty obvious these guys need a Ronaldo replacement at this point. Um, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they'll go into the same sort of five-year lull that they fell into in the earlier part of the 2010s. So... Um, it's just gonna—it's just a matter of how Florentino Perez manages this, if it's going to be him at all. So it's just a waiting game at this point. Yeah, I think uh, I was looking at um, some articles today, and uh, AS, which is a prominent publication in Spain, uh, something like eighty-seven percent of fans blamed Florentino Perez for how this situation's gone. Um, this is more of a philosophical soccer question, I guess, in terms of you know w- what you think the club should do, but. Um, in a situation like this where, you know, we've mentioned it, there's there's not the best crop of managers available right now to the club. Um, do you think they should try and hire someone more experienced and go out and try and get a Conte or a, or someone like that? Or should they maybe sit on Santiago Solari? Um, obviously, as we said, the season isn't lost, but kind of, you know, see what he can do and, and leave him in the interim spot until maybe the end of the season and more managers become available. Well... I mean, if you look back at the Zidane circumstance, it was basically the same mm-hmm. thing, and that worked out beautifully for them. Now, how much of that was the fact that Zidane is like one of the world's greatest soccer players of all mm-hmm. time, and how much of that is how familiar he was with Real Madrid? That can be debated. But I think if uh, Conte is not an ideal fit, or if it's too problematic to bring him in, I don't think that you have to rush anything. Uh, Real Madrid has gone through a long period of success, especially in the Champions League, and I think that every club is cyclical anyways. There will be down periods. So I don't see this club faltering. Uh, but if Solari is the guy that sees you through to the end of the season until you can find a more suitable candidate, then that's okay too. Uh, it just depends on how Solari can really adapt. Uh, the other thing that I would say, however, is if Conte is the guy who's brought in, that's not a bad hire. He's an excellent manager. But there has to be the understanding that there will be some turnover that players will have to adapt to the life under a new manager with a very different regime. And if Real Madrid can adapt to that, they can quickly become a threat again. I mean, if you think about some of the best attacking wingbacks in the world, Marcelo is that guy. And I think Danny Carvajal can be that guy on the other end. So he fits, like, the team is fit to work under Conte if that's the system he's bringing. It just depends on how willing they are to adapt and change. So we'll have to wait and see on that one, but... Uh, there's no rush. Yeah, even with the injury, Marcelo was absolutely class uh, in that El Clasico match. So, um, as you said, they do have all the talent there to be successful. Well, let's quickly look back at the results from match day 10 in La Liga Santander. 
Balada lead and Espanyol drew 1-1. 10-man Girona defeated Rayo Vallecano 2-1. Athletic Bilbao and Valencia drew 0-0. Celta Vigo defeated Ibar 4-0. Levante over Leganes 2-0. Atletico Madrid over Real Sociedad 2-0. Hetafe beat Real Betis 2-0. Of course, that Barcelona 5-1 win over Real Madrid. Alaves scored a late goal to defeat Villarreal 2-1, and Sevilla defeated bottom of the table Huesca 2-1, which leaves us with a top four of Barcelona, Alaves, Sevilla, and Atletico Madrid, and a relegation zone of Leganes, Rayo Vallecano, and bottom of the table Huesca. There's a shock team at the top of the La Liga table right now. Obviously, uh, if you talk about some of the clubs who have struggled early on, there's going to be some teams that will go up and take their place. And Deportivo Alaves um, have had a fantastic start to the season. They currently sit second in the La Liga table. Um, it's funny, their their manager continues to mention the fact that the club's stated goal is just to stay up this season, but they already have 20 points, which, uh, you know, they don't need that many more than that if they want to stay out of the relegation zone. So an incredible start for them. Um, they've done it in exciting fashion as well. Another late goal this past weekend uh, for Borja Baston um, against Villarreal. Um, and it seems like, you know, there's been a ton of surprises, as I said, but none more so than Elaves, who... Um, are, are really looking to to kind of take advantage of, of the chaos in La Liga right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been interesting. They finished 14th last season, so this is not a team that was particularly posturing to uh, any sort of title run. So the fact that they're sitting second and, and looking quite comfortable is a bit of a weird one. I mean, it's only been 10 matches, and that's the, that's the kind of statistical maybe anomaly that will level out over the course of a season. But that being said, they are an interesting team, that's for sure. The fact that they could beat uh, Espanyol and, and Valladolid uh, and then utterly demolish Rayo Vallecano is, is I mean, I don't know. It's it's a pretty interesting uh, trend that we've seen. Um, and especially the 1-0 win over Real Madrid, I think, was was uh, a big confidence booster for this club. But I, I just don't see them having enough talent to make a real challenge for this title, uh, despite the fact that they're sitting in a pretty decent spot right now. I mean, the La Liga season is long. They haven't really played against other teams like Atletico or Valencia. And then, of course, there's the Barcelona topic. So we'll just have to see how they do. But honestly, I think it's one of those situations that uh, it'll, they'll level out by the end of the year. Fair enough. I think we've we've definitely seen that in leagues around the world. But uh, nonetheless, uh, obviously a positive start for them. And as we said, a club who has ambitions of just staying up in the top flight this season. So already some banner moments for them this season. Uh, the the club they beat though this past week is on the other end of the spectrum in Villarreal, uh, a team that I think a lot of people expected to be up near that top four and and challenging clubs, um, challenging the big clubs with all the talent they have in their roster. But um, they've won just twice so far this season in ten matches. Uh, you know, them and Valencia are kind of the two clubs that uh, even Atletico Bilbao, there's been a couple surprises on that end. Uh, they currently sit just one spot above the drop zone, which is uh, certainly not ideal. So they have to, you know, kind of turn that around quickly uh, on top of the fact that they're battling in the Europa League right now as well. So Javier Caleja's job, uh, you know, if you're looking for managers who who might be on the hot seat, I think that's the next one that, that you look at. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Villarreal is they've brought in a lot of new players and a lot of important players. 
So that team needs some more time to gel, and it's pretty obvious. Uh, I mean, across the board, I mean, they brought in, I think, three new strikers in Gerard Moreno and uh, Carlos Baca and Carl Toko Akambi, who played for Andres last year, I thought was really good. Uh, so I think the acquisitions are, are decent. Uh, and I think they also brought in Roger Martinez from China. So they actually have a, a pretty decent strikers or attacking contingency. Um, the thing that I think they need is a little bit of time, but also a little bit more direction. The manager uh, has a lot of new pieces. And anytime that happens, there's a little bit of a period where it takes some time to see whether or not certain players fit in certain spots and how they can best bounce off of each other. All the while, these players are learning how they move and how the other, how their teammates are moving. So those connections, those sort of neural network of a team, they don't develop right away. Uh, and it's pretty obvious with Villarreal. It's not that they're just losing, it's that they look disjointed in their losses. So I think once they have some time to settle, there's enough talent there that I, I don't see them getting relegated. But that being said, I also don't see them challenging for any sort of Europa League position again next year. Yeah, that's too bad for a club that... Uh, as you said, has all kinds of talent uh, on paper and has done a lot this off season to to improve. But uh, you know, it's it's always a struggle when you have so many new players coming in and uh, to get them all working together on the same page. So um, it'll be interesting to see again, like you said, if that co- course corrects itself because um, you know we we still have a lot of time in this season, but it's starting to get towards that stage where. Um, we're, we're finding out a lot about these teams, uh, which leads us into this next weekend, looking ahead to match day 11 uh, in La Liga Santander. Um, and we're both going to pick our game of the week. Obviously, we've scrapped this the past few weeks because uh, there's an international break and then El Clasico. But um, this week, uh, I'm going to pick Real Betis versus Celta Vigo. Um, these are two sides who kind of sit mid-table right now, so not the most exciting of games if you're looking at how it's going to affect the table but these are two teams that I think are, are could be punching a little higher especially Real Betis who have very much underachieved this season it's been a little bizarre watching them I know they were talked about as as such a big uh, attacking side in the past couple of years and an exciting side to watch but they only have five goals in La Liga so far this season which is uh, you know worse in the league um, but they still have a ton of quality obviously they beat AC Milan in the Europa League which is a, an incredible result for them and that kind of showed the potential of this team and uh, with the way things are kind of log jammed, both of these sides could could potentially move up very quickly in the table. Uh, on the Celta Vigo side, I mean, they're you know pregnancy stories as as we mentioned earlier with Luis Suarez are kind of big in La Liga right now, and another one involved Diago Aspas who was uh, with his wife the night before. Um, well, she had the kid, went out uh, the next day and played, got a hat trick, um, and then obviously returned to the hospital with the match ball. So an incredible performance for him and in uh, a 4-0 victory. And, uh, you know, just two clubs right now that I see potentially as being able to, to make up some ground if if some of the big boys continue to, to struggle um, in a tight table. So uh, what's your match of the week there, Armin? I think it's got to be Espanyol versus Athletic Bilbao, and I'll tell you why. Espanyol currently has 18 points, and presumably with a win, they would move up to 21, which would tie them with Barcelona at the top of the table. So if we were talking about a weird La Liga season, we could potentially see a top of the table featuring Barcelona, Alaves, and Espanyol. <laughs> now that depends on other results, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Espanyol's been an interesting team to watch this year. Five wins already, uh, and... 
uh, they're flying. Uh, the, uh, on the other end of the table, Athletic Bilbao, a team that's historically been a pretty powerful team in this league, could see themselves fall into the relegation zone. So we're, we're seeing a 5th place team taking on a 16th place team with the potential to move anywhere from up to 1st for Espanyol and potentially down to like 19th for Athletic Bilbao. So, uh, or sorry, 18th I should say. So it'll be an interesting kind of promotion versus relegation battle uh, for Athletic Bilbao. If they find themselves in the bottom three spot, it's not ideal, especially because they're also surrounded by teams like Villarreal and potentially Valencia. So it'll be interesting to see how that bottom of the table uh, figures out in these next few weeks. Meanwhile, Barcelona has unfamiliar neighbors at the very top. So that's my match to watch. Well, it sounds great. I'll definitely be checking out that as well and uh thanks for joining the show armin this has been a lot of fun yeah thanks for having me mitch and thank you all for listening certainly as we've mentioned a lot of unresolved uh storylines and uh clubs in the league so far this season which sets us up for a fascinating next few weeks uh we will have it all covered here on the la liga show